Hi everyone, welcome back to the Media Mates podcast. My name's Ralph Tucker. Each week I'll chat to somebody I've met from my career in and around the media industry. All of them have such great stories to tell. I'm not Michael Parkinson or Andrew Denton, but I do enjoy chatting to interesting media people about where they've been, where they're headed next, and everything else in between. My guest today is Brian Sando Sanders, who was recently made redundant after 21 years as a traffic reporter for Triple M in Sydney. Brian has been in the radio game for over 35 years after beginning his career at 2ST in Nowra. We chat about his strange audition tape, which sparked interest from Mike Walsh, working in a golden era of Australian radio with Andrew Denton, and why he always saw his traffic reports as a performance. Sando is a legend of the radio industry and an even better bloke, so I really hope you enjoy our chat. Brian Sanders, welcome to the Media Mates podcast. Thank you, and uh, good to catch up with you again, Ralphie. Good to see you too. You better explain things. We're on location, as it were. Yes, yes. We're down at Tench Reserve, which is uh, one of my favourite little haunts and the scenes of some of my most famous uh, murders uh, here by the uh, Nepean River. It's a lovely spot. (laughs) It is a lovely spot. Mm. Now, you're in, how shall we put it? Is it transition? Or? Yes, a period of transition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got I got made redundant at um, at Triple M. They did a new deal with the Australian Traffic Network, and there was no more uh, no more need for me to uh, to attend. So um, I'm spending time at the river. Now, how many years was it that you were doing traffic for both? Triple M and Today FM? Uh, for both. Well, I didn't do both until towards the end of Wendy Harmer's reign on breakfast. So I was only on Triple M. I started off as a sports reporter on the weekends there. That was like 21, 22 years ago. And then 21 years doing traffic for Triple M. And I don't know, probably 10 or 12 on Today FM, maybe a bit more. All right. We'll get to all of that in a second, but I want to get in the time machine and go all the way back right to where it all began was radio something that always interests you or media or um i thought you were going to say is radio invented at that stage because <laughs> I, I was like 18 i'm not, I'm not that i'm not that disrespectful <laughs> i was um 18 when i started and it was 1989 1979 rather started at um 2st in, in Nara. Yeah, look, I, I've always been interested in radio. Um, were you one of those kids that was, you know, going around the house pretending as if you were a football caller or a, a um, yeah, you know, a disc jockey? I was a footy caller. Right. Yeah. Um, listening to uh, Frank Lee at uh, 2KA because he used to call all the Panthers games every weekend and I'd never miss a broadcast and uh, listening to the radio at, uh, at night next to my bed and... You know, I was, yeah, I've always been armoured with, with radio. I didn't imagine that I was going to be a radio announcer, but I don't know. I just got the – I went to Max Rowley's radio school. Okay. How old were you then? Oh, I would have been 17. Okay, so straight out of school? Yeah, yeah. Straight out of school, straight to Max Rowley's. And, um, yeah, by the time I was 18, I was I was working down at, uh, down at Nowra. What did Max teach you? I just you're still like a, a teenager, so it's very yeah. much your, your formative years in in, in life as well yeah. as trying to etch out a, a career in radio. The one, the one thing that Max was was very encouraging. You know, he never discouraged me from trying to be creative. He he didn't sort of 
but but he did teach you how to block out a basically a show. You know how to how to work the panel, how to back announce music, and all those just the basics, and you just took it from there. Any other people of note that you met during your time at Max Riley? Because that would have been a a period of where there would have been a whole lot more jobs out there in the radio and TV industry than what what there are now. So you could go there and learn the basics, as you said, and then go out to the the bush or the the regional areas and and ply your craft before coming back to Sydney. Nowadays, it seems as though that path to the regional areas isn't as great as it once was due to all of the networking that goes on. I I, I think that's a shame for radio, actually, because, you know, you'd start off on midnight to dawns in in the bush somewhere and make all your mistakes there, learn what to do and polish yourself up and maybe move a bit closer to town. And I went through via Wollongong and um, then then closer to the city, 2KA, as it turns out, and uh, and then eventually to Triple M, where I... Where I, you know, sort of uh, roosted there for, for many years. Tell me about the ex- early experience at Two ST. What did they have you doing there? I was doing midnight to dawns, um, getting up to a, a fair bit of mischief because you'd take phone calls from young ladies on midnight to dawns, and um, you know, put on tubular bells, the album version, and because that's what a good forty-five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> of which I used up about five, <laughs> and the rest was conversation. <laughs> so, who were the people that are around in those days that, that taught you what you what you'd learnt and how to, you know, I guess become essentially a, a radio announcer? Yeah, look, uh, somebody that you you would know, um, maybe the maybe the lis- listeners wouldn't know him, Steve Spaziali. We both actually applied for the same job, and and I got it, and I don't think he ever forgave me for that. Right. And um, hence my current predicament. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) uh, there was, you know, I I think Rob Duckworth was getting into radio. Right. So I didn't really get to know him, and the others, no, I don't know of any that really kicked on. Um, so two ST to then Wollongong. What was? Yeah, Wollongong. What, What did you do in Wollongong? Same sort of thing. Yeah, I got sacked. How did you get sacked in Wollongong? Well, in those days, we'd play carts. Right. And I was on Midnight to Dawns. And you'd put the cart into a machine and sort of push a button and it'd, it'd roll through with the with the song. And for some reason, I just got into this habit of stopping the cart before it had reset at the start of the song. So right. blokes would go to play their song during the, their daytime shift and it'd be just dead air would, would come in. And I got warned a few times and eventually they just said, look, you've got to go. <laughs> this isn't working out. So uh, I sent it. Uh, Max, uh, sorry, Mike Walsh bought, bought 2KA and I sent, you sent audition tapes out in, right. in those yep. days with a bit of what you do. And I, I sent this tape out. It was quite a bizarre tape, but, it, but basically the opening line was, "Hi, you know, I've just been sacked," and uh, and away it went with a bit of a description. One way of getting noticed straight <laughs> yeah, away, I well, guess. That's, uh, next thing I got Mike Walsh on the phone saying, "I'm very excited. I want to meet you." Wow. Yeah, and uh, up I went and met him at the um, at the cinema that he owned in in Penrith at the time, and yeah, I was hired. <laughs> 
So, so by being honest and being up front, yeah. you got the ear of Mike Walsh, yeah. who was would have been like, you know, quite a famous Oh yeah. Did he have the midday yeah, show at that yeah, stage? Yeah, he was in Gold Logie Land. R- right, you know, okay. Very, very famous. It was very intimidating to meet him. He was a quite an intimidating sort of character and What was he like? What, what what kind of guy was he? Oh, he was he was very friendly to me. Very friendly. I wore pink to the interview because I heard he might be, uh, you know, the opposite persuasion. And um, it worked. It worked a treat. Yeah. Hide on the spot. And what did you do at 2KA? I did nights at first. Yeah. And then I did a short stint on drive and then they just moved me into breakfast. And I was on breakfast there for about 10 years. Working with um, Jason Bowman at one point there. We had a show um, together at breakfast time. And we were called the Slick Dogs. Wow. Mm. Okay. And that that was uh, now. Did you have a bit of a fun. following? Uh, yeah. Oh, look, we 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 had this. Um, we're talking about like the the eighties here, right? Yeah. We we um, used to make out that Jason drove around in a Datsun one twenty Y, which in those days was really becoming a daggy sort of car. You right. don't even see them around <clears throat> anymore. And we. Did a did a, a stunt where we we bought a Datsun 120Y from a Wreckers and got it all done up by different sponsors. Got wheels from here and a big sound system in it, uh, yeah. You know, and all sign written, you know, slick dogs. And you drive around the streets in it. And you'd have blokes hanging out their windows, slickies, you know. <laughs> so it was it, it was it was fun, and then. Um, as part of the promotion, because it was without West Auto Wreckers over at uh, over at Kingswood, and I made out that I'd entered Jason's car in the um, Smash Up Derby. Yeah. So we just got another one. Yeah. We got it dressed up the same way, and the the guys from out west entered it and bashed the shit out of the thing. And uh, yeah, so that's that was the that was the end of the one twenty Y, but it was fun while it lasted. So where was all that based? Where was 2KA back in those days? Because it became 96.1 yeah. is now The Edge and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, at first we were based in Borick House and then we moved down further into Penrith, um, just down near where the courthouse is now, and then Mike Walsh finished up selling the station to yep. uh, ARN, I think, purchased it. And uh, it, 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 it's, it's still with them. And eventually, I think they've moved the whole operation over to Lane Yeah, to Cove North Ride. Yeah. yeah. That, that would have been fun days because mm. obviously, as you mentioned earlier, creativity was something that you wanted to explore and, mm. and, and, and really make good quality radio. So it sounds as though by setting up all of your own stunts. I mean, you wouldn't have had a promotions team or anything oh, like no, that. that so was just me and Jason working, and we didn't even tell the management what we were going to do. We just went ahead. Setting all that up and, and having free reign to do that over a 10-year period on breakfast mm. must have been really, really exciting. It was exciting. And, you know, I got to work with, with Frank Lee, who I'd um, listened to calling the football all those years and uh, got into a bit of strife there at one point too. I'll tell you this story. It's not very interesting, but all your stories you are can, interesting. You can, you, you can you can edit this out. But I, it was, I was doing I was doing Saturday mornings, and Frank would come in on Saturday mornings and do his sports reports. You know the local sports yep. netball. They'd write out a report for him, and he'd read it out. And the local cricket club, and so I'd panel. 
Now, we were right above a takeaway food shop run by these two Greek guys, and I knew them well. And so I just got into this dangerous routine of Frank would start talking. I'd run down the stairs, make my order, you know, order a hamburger or whatever, run back up the stairs. He'd be getting to the end of the netball report. You know, this is Frank Lee. 2KA and hit the hit the button and the, the song would play. Get to the end of the song, he'd start off on whatever was next. Yeah, and I'd run down and get my hamburger and pay for it and be back in time. Well, there was this Frank could talk underwater. He had no problem putting a, a sentence together. He he's away. I ran downstairs, ordered my hamburger, and we got into a bit of a conversation. And it was going on, and I just lost track of time, and five, ten, fifteen minutes goes by. Like, shit, Frank's up there talking. <laughs> Ran up the stairs, <laughs> sat myself down. Yeah, I was just, frankly, on 2KA. Jesus, thank God you got back when you did. I was starting to run out of things to say. <laughs> Poor Frank. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. And, I mean, back in those days also, like, the, the 2KA would have had such a close tie to the community, right? Yeah, yeah. It was very much a community station. So you were able to sort of involve local members of the community in the yeah. radio broadcast and all of those yeah. sort of things. Western Sydney had just... Western Sydney University had basically just started up and they had a like a theatre group. Yep. And I was able to involve some of those in like skits we'd write and things like that, get them to come in and act and get add a bit of experience to what they were doing. So that was uh, that was fun. I was gonna say, what kind of things other things did you do on your on your breakfast show that would have been different to what people do nowadays? Um a lot of sound effects and things like that that you'd employ. I used to make out that I had a studio audience. Um, so, you know, much like what Paige does with the kids these days, you'd have, like, different reactions. Yeah, yeah. With a little short clap or, you know. So, yeah, just stuff like that and them giggling or laughing and I don't know. I mean, it's just you, you just sort of come up with an idea and write it up and – See how it how it works. I, I had a thing called um, Televiewers Anonymous, which Mike Walsh actually introduced that when he was doing nights, and he wanted me to have a go at it. But I turned that into my own thing. Like, but, but it was me dressed up in a Superman suit on a card that you'd send out with a numbered thing, yep. making out that each card had its own personality, and you know, ring through and describe what the personality of your card is and people would phone in and say, oh, mine's a cranky one or whatever the... <laughs> <laughs> so just, you know, just random stuff, really. You mentioned earlier there that you used to call football when yeah. you were a kid. Mm. 2KA gave you that opportunity as well? Yes, yes. I started off working with Frank uh, as the sideline, sideline eye, Brian on the line, it was called, and... Um, then when Frank retired, I, I was offered the offered the role to call the Panthers games. It was like a dream come true, and uh, away I went. I did that for several years. Now, when was that? That was the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, late eighties, early nineties. Uh, we we stopped calling the Panthers game 
the year that Ben Alexander got killed. Right, okay. Because you could just sense that the season was going to fall apart and it was going to be difficult for us to um, get – it was always difficult to get sponsors anyway and it was going to be especially difficult that year to get sponsors, so we just pulled the pin. Must have been exciting though because within that period of time, the club won its first yes. premiership. Yes, so- I called the game. How was that for you, oh. as someone that had obviously loved the team growing yeah. up and, and, and lived through all the, the hardship that was Penrith were known as the, the chocolate soldiers and yeah. they were always battling down the bottom of the, the table and then all of a sudden probably most people associate the rise of Greg Alexander as, yes. the, as the moment when Penrith looked as if they could actually challenge for a title. They made a, a playoff a fifth spot and I think – 85 or yeah. 87 or something yeah. like that. 85 was the first year that we, we made this, made the semis. I bounced out by Parramatta in the first semi, but it was still, well, it might have been the second semi, but it was still very exciting. Um, so to be part of that must have been like terrific. I mean, yeah. they had that first go at it in 1990 when yes. they, they, they were up against the, the Raiders and, and unfortunately lost that one, but bounced back the next year and, yeah. and, and won that famous grand final. And yeah. I guess people still have memories of uh, MG racing towards Roycey Simmons and almost throwing him over his shoulder. Yes. I was, uh, it, was a, it was a very passionate period in the game. And uh, it was just a shame that, you know, at, at the height of, of that young team's powers that everything went absolutely pear-shaped in the off-season when uh, Ben Alexander was was killed in a car accident and the team just fell apart, you know. The bottom really did fall out of the bag for them. Tell me about that, the two grand finals, though. Like for, like I said, for someone that was uh, so keen on, on the team and, and you'd called football in the area and it was in the days where – would you go to away games as well? Yeah. Or Right, okay. So you'd call like a, few, a whole season of just following the Panthers around. Did you have any close relationships with the – the players and the, the staff there? I think in those days, unlike today, um, the players were very wary of the media. So, and I was comfortable with that because you don't like to get too close to them uh, for the reason that, you know, sometimes you've got to, you've got to criticise them or, you know, you call a spade a spade and people get a little bit personal about yeah. that and certainly did in those days. So... Uh, I tended not to get very close to the players. I, I, I got to know Greg Alexander very well, and I mean, I'd still say hello to any of them if I saw them today at, at, at the ground or whatever. But no, it wasn't. A, it wasn't a real close knit sort of thing. But it was exciting to be around. I used to go down to you know watch them train and you know learn their moves and all that kind of stuff because it helps you with the call. And uh, I was I was never made to feel unwelcome down there. What was it like when they finally won the comp? It was it was more than anything. I think my overriding emotion was just pure relief. And really what you want to do is put together a good call, you know. You want the call to be, be good and to flow smoothly and you're not really involving yourself too much in the emotion of it, although it's very exciting when they score a try. Who were you calling with? Was it Daryl Broman yes. back in those days? yes. Yeah. So, so you can say that you made Daryl Broman's career. Well, it was where he where he started. I invited him to because um, I'd interviewed him a few times, and I knew he was a very funny guy. 
and I, I just thought he'd work, and it worked out much better than I than I thought it would. We had a, a, a sideline guy who was a an old friend of mine. We used to play football with him. Uh, Robert uh, the Beanbag Meekings, we used to call him. Daryl came up with the nickname because he was like on the sideline. He's this fat guy, and you know, two ka sloppy Joe with bloody pie stains down the front. <laughs> <laughs> and Daryl says, "Have a look at him down there. He looks like a beanbag with hair." So that the beanbag stuck and people used to arrive at the ground with signs we love the beanbag you know because we just give him stick every game and the people started to side with him and feel a bit sorry for him phil gould didn't feel sorry for him oh really no no phil gould uh, <laughs> took a bit of a dislike to him because we went up to went up to the gold coast and steve carter got replaced by phil gould and beanbag was there and he was basically saying, "Look, he's down here. He is visibly very upset, Steve Carter. He just, you mm. know, he's got tears streaming down his face. This is quite distressing." Anyway, it got back to Phil Gould that Beanbag had said it. And the next game was against Souths at um, Allianz, and Penrith got hammered. And we're, we're, I'm talking down the line to the Beanbag, and I said, "Mate, you've got to get an interview with Phil Gould. He's." You know, he's got to be answerable for this. There's no point talking to any of the players that we talk to every week. You know, we've got, we've got to have the coach on. Yeah. And he's in the dressing room. And he's a bit sheepish. And he says, he says, oh, mate, I don't think that would be a, a good idea at the moment. I said, mate, just go and get him. You know, I'm talking down the line. This is not on Yeah, air. this is not this going is to air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just get him. We'll do the, the questioning. He goes over and I hear this thump and crash and swearing and shouting going on. Phil Gould had gotten hold of him yeah. and thrown him into one of the lockers. <laughs> <laughs> and they're having to pull Phil Gould off. He's going to bloody punch the crap out of him. And we could, we could hear, this is not good. So we just... Rolled on Daryl and I and got to the end of the broadcast and Beanbag came up and told us what had happened. So we had to keep him away from uh, Phil Gould for the rest of the season. Wow. Mm. Imagine it these days. Oh, it just wouldn't happen. It'd be out in social media in two seconds yeah. and Gus would be lynched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in those days, no, you could get away with that kind of gear all, and, you know. All hushed up. Yeah, mm. men against, against men, you know. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, to you. So I guess in, in many ways... Calling the football and doing those things may have, in fact, helped you later on with the traffic reports because you're calling what you're seeing yes. and you're able to inject a bit of personality yeah. into it and all of those things. Did you find it hard to observe something and translate it into words? Because not everybody has that gift or can do that. No, I, but I, it's observant of you to to, to note that. But um, that's how, when I started it, that's exactly how I saw it. This is just like calling the football, except you're describing something else. But you're just describing what you can see in front of you. And I treated it like that basically for the rest of the time that I was on. You're just describing what you're seeing. How did it all come to an end at 2KA before you went on to Triple M? Well, we got sacked. We went out for a birthday lunch with, with Mike Walsh. Right. Over at the Orpheum. And uh, Mike, you know, he, he, he didn't mind the drink, that's for sure. And Jason left 
And I stayed on, and he was showing me around the theatre because he's got this, you know, yeah. Art Nouveau sort of style operation running there. He was very proud of it. And just in, you know, that sort of theatre style, he said, he said to me, Brian, you know, I've always loved you, mate. I was like, oh, thanks, Mike. It's been, oh, I've really appreciated your, your support. And that wasn't a good reaction. It wasn't the reaction he was looking for. Right. So about a week later, we were marched out of 2KA. Right, without rhyme or reason. <laughs> wow. You didn't, know, you didn't need to have rhyme or reason in those days. It was just, you know, Mike rolled out of bed one morning, phoned up and said, get rid of him. So what was the next step then? Um, oh, I did a... A shopping centre tour with uh, with a with a company around around Australia for um, oh, six or eight weeks, and at that time Jason had had gotten a job through Stuart Cranny actually uh, tipped him into a an, an opportunity at at Triple M, and they went and asked Jason if he'd like to do sport on the weekend just casually. Yeah, he said, "No, nah, I'm not really good at sport, but I, I know a guy who'd be really good." So yeah, I got the got the nod, and that's how I started at, at Triple M, just doing weekend sport casually. Now is that where the nickname Sando came into it? Yeah, or it's a fairly yeah. obvious nickname for you being Brian Sanders, but yeah. uh, that's kind of where it took off, and your personality, I well, guess, evolved. Yeah, in those days, look, I mean, now, now every every second announcer has a, a, a name that ends in O. You know, such and such, such and such, Joe, and yeah. blah, blah. But I think I was the only one at that stage. That, but Guy Dobson uh, was very adamant that uh, he was not going to have someone on the station called Brian. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you're going to be known as Sando. Are you comfortable with that? I was like, oh, mate, of course. You know, I was just happy to have the gig. Yeah. Call me what you like. So who was in charge of the newsroom back in those days? Then? Uh, Glenn Daniel. Right, okay. Yeah. And so Glenn gave you the the start there to do weekend sport? Yeah, he had, I had to get the nod off him. Do, yeah. Dobbo was ultimately responsible, but, right. you know, if Glenn had said, oh, mate, I don't think he's going to work out, I, I wouldn't have got yeah. the go-ahead, you know. Yeah, so I, I did an audition tape and they were quite happy with it, so. And how long were you doing that before the traffic component came in? I'm not sure, but it wasn't that long because Jason – saw himself as an announcer right. and not as a, a traffic reporter. So Andrew Denton started on the breakfast show with Amanda Keller. Yeah. Jason was doing the traffic for them and then just basically up and left. And uh, Dobbo had already suggested to me that I should go up and fly in the in the plane just in case Jason's sick and I'll fill in. And uh, I was straight into it within months. It was like literally three months. And I, so I continued doing sport on the weekends, doing traffic during the week. It was like seven days a week, but I needed the money, you know. So was that on the split shift? So were you doing breakfast and then drive? No. So it was just the yeah, breakfast shift? Yeah, it was only breakfast. And okay. I only ever did breakfast. I never did a split shift. Talk to me about that. We spoke to Matt McDonald on this podcast last week yes. about going up in the chopper and seeing it from the air every morning. Yes. 
It must have been quite a spectacular experience to to go up there and and look over Sydney. I know you'd probably get blasé after a while. You but do. What was it? What was it like in those early stages? In the early stages, I used to sit up there. We were in a Cessna when we started, and it was a tiny little thing, very cramped Cessna one five two, and uh, but. It was. I used to, you know, every morning you'd get up and sometimes it's cloudy, sometimes it's a bit wet weather. It doesn't, doesn't matter. I thought this has got to be the best office in, in Sydney, you know. But as I say, you, you, you get to the point where it's no different to being on a bus or something like that. You're concentrating on your work and it's uh, just a question of – but that, that Cessna was as slow as anything. Like you'd fly down – down from Narrabeen to the to the city, and you'd be looking down and looking at the golfers, and they'd be walking faster than we were going against the wind. You, you know? could almost read their thoughts. <laughs> so correct their slices. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, in those days, and when Denton had the breakfast shipped, I mean, before that, Triple M had gone through a bit of a bit of a lull after yeah. the heydays of, of Mulray and the like, and then Denton lifted them out of the mire. Mm. What was it like being part of a breakfast show that was exciting and vibrant and Andrew Denton being who he was and Amanda Keller being who they were yeah. with the, the great combination that they had to be welcomed in as like, you know, a, a member of the show yeah. when you're doing traffic? Yes, I know. And it was it was really exciting. And you know, in the last 12 months, I think Andrew had lost a bit of interest in it. So it did lose its vibe, but before that, I'll tell you, it was um, and probably remains the the best breakfast show I ever worked on. It was really exciting. I used to look forward to landing the plane, and I'd race in there and try and catch up with you know as many meetings as I could and become part of the part of the show, throw in some ideas, and uh, there were a great bunch of people: Peter Berner, um, you know, Dave Gibson, and. You know the very oh Fiona Fifi Box was in there at one stage as one of the producers. It was just a really talented team of radio people. What made that show so good was it the fact that it was involving people that knew how to create good radio. I think so. Yeah, I think that was the the key to it. They were they were creative. They were funny. They knew how to treat things seriously if it needed to be treated seriously. You always felt, listening to the show, that you were across what was happening in Sydney, the world. You, 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 if you missed the show because you might have been off sick or whatever, you always felt like you were missing out on something. And, uh, that you know, very rare for a show to be able to capture that sort of atmosphere to it, you know. And for you to have as I mentioned before, to make those traffic reports your own with your own creative input. How fortunate were you that I guess you were given the blessing by people in charge like Dobbo mm. to make traffic sound interesting? Because yeah. ultimately, at the end of the day, it's as boring as shit. People, <laughs> sure people are getting angry the fact that they can't get to work on yeah. time and you're making into this entertainment piece so that, okay, it's shit, but at least he's making it sound fun. Yeah. Well, that's what you try to do. That's that's the, that's the the aim of it. You're trying to entertain as much as inform. I mean, obviously you've got to get the information correct because people really get the shits if you're getting it wrong. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a, another form of entertainment, really. 
You're just part of the mix. Now, did you take that up on yourself or did somebody say, mate, we need to make this? Well, when I first started, it was Peter Janeski, actually, from um, it was, I think he's at Channel 7 now. He, he, he pulled me aside. He was in charge of promotions, I think. He said, look, Andrew's going to put you on for a couple of weeks. He's still deciding what he wants to do with the traffic in the morning. He's thinking about putting a comedian up there. So just play it by ear. We'll see how long it lasts. And, you know, when Andrew decides what he's going to do, if he finds a, a, an appropriate comedian, then um, that'll be that. And I, I was still there until the other week, waiting to see what was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> how important that was it for you, though, that you obviously he decided that he, he liked you and that you were going to be, be part of the show and to, to work alongside like a, a, a genius that yeah. was Andrew Denton? Oh, was, well, you can imagine how exciting it yeah. was. You know, I mean, I, here I was in limbo. Um, you know, not knowing because I was only working as a casual, right? And you know, to be welcomed in, and I was welcomed in, and to be made to feel welcome and and valued uh, by Andrew Denton and Amanda, and they they were only ever really nice to me. Uh, it was great. It was a golden period for me. If you look back on your career, particularly on the point of the traffic, being part of that show, which. It's number one in Sydney. Mm. Being part of a different show on a different radio station, Kyle and Jackie O, yes. number one in Sydney. Do you ever think, wow, I'm pretty blessed here to be oh, yeah. part of two pretty much landmark shows yeah. in Australian broadcasting history yeah. and yeah. you're just doing your bit on the side? Yeah, under, under absolutely no pressure in terms of the ratings, like, you know, if, if a, a show nosedives in the ratings, they don't point the finger at the traffic reporter. No. You've got no responsibility for what's going on. You just get up and have fun. You know, try and keep them happy. Like if they say, oh, the, you know, the traffic's going too long or whatever, you know, you've, you you respond to what they want. You know, it's their responsibility. But um, by and large, it's, it's just good fun. You would have had the best seat in the house because yeah. you're listening to those yeah. programs yeah. as they're going to air and you're probably – being on there every 15 minutes or so, yeah. you're a large portion of the show. Yeah, I know. Uh, but uh, no, it's just that it, it was nothing other than good fun while you're working on a good show. Now, I've got to be honest, not all the shows that I worked on were were so good. But when you're on a good show, it's a, it's a, it's a, great, it's a great feeling. You get to work with, with great people. I know you had Matt McDonald on and we flew together for years and, you know, we remain good friends. Do you have any good stories about Matt? To share, I got one. Oh, good. It's, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how good it is, but um, we used to work out of out of uh, mascot, and we were flying in the two UE helicopter, nice leather seats. It was a really beautiful helicopter. Who was the two UE reporter back in those days? Grant uh, Goldman, no, maybe. Oh, Grant Goldman started as the the traffic reporter, but he he retired when the pilot, who was a bit of a mischief maker, kept opening the air vent at the front of the the chopper and, and blowing his Toupee. It's toupee. <laughs> <laughs> so so he, he bailed out and then Ian Wallace uh, took over. So anyway, we'd get into the chopper in the morning and you'd know you'd be up there for, you know, two and a half hours or whatever it was. Yeah. So you'd, you'd, you'd go to the toilet 
and then they'd then they'd land and quite often take some clients on board for a for a flight. Yeah. So um, yeah, we know we Maddie goes into the toilet. Yeah. Drops a dump. Goes out. And I, I don't know how how this happened, but I sort of I, I went in and I realised that I hadn't been I hadn't been noticed going in. Yeah, came out and everyone was distracted and no one no one noticed. But I'd done this I'd done this this crap and it was just unsinkable, right? <laughs> so David Jones, the pilot, was we all strapping in, in into the chopper. He comes stomping out. Who was who was who was just in the shitter? <laughs> I said, oh, I, I saw Matt in there before. He said, oh, I've got clients coming up this morning and that shit in there, mate, it will not go down. <laughs> and so we came up with a nickname for Matty, which he hated. Uh, Corky. Corky. The unsinkable shitter. <laughs> he would have hated that yeah. too. Oh, goodness mm. me. But those days where going up in the helicopter every day... They came to an end. Yes. And you were doing the reports from home. Yeah. Oh, yes. Great. How did that work out? Fantastic. <laughs> they were great days. You'd just roll out of bed, go and turn the phone on, and away you'd go. Get the computer up, have a look at the screens, because everything now, you, you can do it off a computer screen. Yeah. You just open up different tabs, look at the cameras, and away you go. But, um, oh, it was awesome. And listeners would have been none the wiser because I think from memory they still used to play the the chopper sound effect underneath yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. So they don't know that Brian Sanders is is sitting in his uh, uh, pajamas in his <laughs> South Penrith house, report, phoning it in. The beauty of radio, you know, yeah. right? So oh, yeah. there's so many great examples of of, of creating theatre of the mind for people, isn't well, there? Well, I got them to the idea that no, because the chopper sound effect didn't sound realistic because here's me like on the phone and the chopper is like studio quality. It was just silly. But I got onto this idea of if I turn the vacuum cleaner on in the back of the office, it kind of sounds like how the chopper sounds from inside. <laughs> so that's you, what, you, what your Godfrey's was a bit crook, was it? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was, yeah, as you say, theatre of the mind. Who instilled that in you, the entertainment side of radio? Where did you learn that part? I think at school, you know, we were like that at school, me and my friends. We used to get up on stage and do these stupid acts and, you know, we thought we were pretty funny. I don't know if we were or not, probably not. But that's where it all came from. And I I, I was just hoping, oh, you know, and you hear things like the goons. And in those days, Monty Python was just starting on television and they started bringing out albums. And it's like, this is what you can do, you know, with just sound. And that's where it started to roll for me, and I just sort of carried that on and, and took it in my own direction. What about the fact that, okay, we mentioned there that the, the, the traffic in the chopper came it became a thing of the past, so did mm. working from home after <laughs> a, a few too many sleep hints. Yeah, a few too many wines. <laughs> <laughs> then having to work out at Bankstown, what was that experience like? Um, I was a bit disgruntled about that, to be honest, because at the time, I, 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 whatever the shows that were on, they, they weren't working particularly well, either on Today FM or on, on Triple M. And I went out there and it's it, it was all very bleak. A lot of the people that were working 
weren't really radio people. You know, it was like an office job out there. Mm. So I, I, I really had to shut myself away in, in my office and, and just get into my own headspace and just leave all of that gossiping and narking up and down the, the hallway to those out there. But it didn't stop you from performing a few of your famous practical jokes. Should I tell this? Yeah, let's tell a story. Okay. I'm concerned there might be legal ramifications for this, but I'll tell you anyway. We don't have to name names. Okay, there was a there was a one particular reporter that I, I really took a dislike to, and um, and so did Jason. And we used to carpool in the morning, and we giggle away about all this. Because Jason was back then in the traffic doing yeah. it in the air, yeah, uh, on TV, yeah. So um, yeah, we'd we'd giggle away about all these different ideas for practical jokes and. I don't know how we came up with it, but the, oh, the, I'd been cooking some fish probably a week or so earlier and I opened the fridge and I was like, oh, geez, that's, it's got to go. Mm. And I just got it in my mind just to break a bit of fish off and wrap it up in a bit of plastic, not say anything to anyone, and um, sneak, it into the, sneak it into the office. Now, you know, I, I was the first one in. No one else was there. Being, being the, the consummate professional. <laughs> yes. And, uh, well, how professional. Why do you hear this? I got, I got the fish and just smeared a bit of it on to this particular reporter's chair, right? And then got the fish and just threw it in the bin. Anyway, he comes in and I could hear all this kerfuffle going on out in the, the hallway. I opened the door to my office and it's like, come in here and smell this. You know, and everyone's gathering around, and and uh, <laughs> he's, he's going through the air conditioning, the air vent, and he couldn't work out where it was coming from. Finally, he did. It's 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 this effing chair. <laughs> he throws the chair out in the hallway, <laughs> gets another one, and gets and gets down to work. And people like the other reporters, they were giggling and laughing away, and they were trying to work out. Who'd used that chair the night before? And unfortunately, and I swear I wasn't aware of this, it was uh, like a female reporter. And so they were like, oh, geez, it's da da da, you know? And they were putting two and two together and reading way too much into it. And so she kind of copped the blame. Right. And it was all hell broke loose. You know, it, it was, there was going to be legal action and there was. So there was a witch hunt? There was a witch hunt. I was sitting in my office trying to stop myself from laughing because that would have given away who it was. Jason is a much better actor than me, so he was out there, you know, just, look, I don't know. It's, it could have been anyone, you know. And it was you, wasn't it? No, 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 no. I've got no no reason to do that. Yeah, so um, – but the the best part of it was this this guy – had to take his clothes to the dry cleaners because he couldn't get the fish smell out of his his clothes and dry, had to drive home with it. Had to had to get his car cleaned. Uh, it was it was a perfect uh, perfect storm. Oh, brilliant! Now, the fact the way that things were set up in the in the end for Triple M and Today FM was that you didn't automatically record onto a cart. You ran into the newsroom every time to do your reports. You know, for the other parts of it during the show, you'd ring the, the show mm. part. So that obviously got you involved in more so in the, the newsroom side of things because 
you'd love a chat. You want to chat mm. to people in the in, in the morning. So whoever was there and whoever mm. answered the, the phone at whatever un, ungodly hour mm. meant that you had a really strong bond with everybody that was associated with news because, you know, you were part of what yeah. we had to do every day and put the traffic yeah, just, to, it, it to, just, to it air. It works out like that, doesn't it? You know, you get to know people. And... Yeah. So what was that like for you being introduced to a, well, it was a range of young people that mm. went through the, that whole period of having to record the traffic in the newsroom. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was great, especially when they were uh, young girls. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I loved it. You're flirting away. But, uh, no, I mean, I enjoyed all of the the people that I I worked with for different reasons. Like, you know, and often they'd come up with their own ideas of what I, I should do. And, you know, on quiet days during the holidays, we'd, we'd make up suburbs. That just didn't exist. We'd give you things to put in there. Yeah. So we'd try and recoup old um, memories of old TV shows and get you to mention the fact that there'd been a, a vinegar spill near the <laughs> Wentworth prison. Uh, and uh, Brandon from the Peach Pit had, had rung and, and, and called in an accident on Mona Vale Road. <laughs> or... Um... There's a there's a box of Merkins that has fallen onto the road on on Windsor Road at you know old Windsor Road or whatever and uh, oh there's a there's a man running up and down in his underpants through traffic at the intersection of this road and that road yelling obscenities as the cars as they, as they go by. One of the people that you worked with for such a long time was Mike Morrow. Oh, yeah. So you would have had a special relationship with Mike because we're talking about a period of like seven or eight years yes. here where he was your guy that you used to ring into in the morning. So yeah. there was so – Scott sitting next to Mike for about five or six years, there were so many interesting chats that used to take place between you two. I, I learned a lot. Um, I learned a lot about Mardi Gras from Mike um, because he was like openly gay and yeah and I learned a lot about uh, gay life that I didn't know um, I, I learned about trough boy um, it was him that came up with the idea for the box of Merkins on on Windsor Road you know or, or you know it'd be the night after Mardi Gras and you know you'd report that on Oxford Street through Paddington, there's there's a, a bloke walking very unsteadily on his high heels, heading towards the city. Just watch out for him, you know. So, sort of, you know, it was just yeah, it was it was good, and he contributed a lot to to the traffic during that period. And he was a, he was a he was a good mate. And having that association meant that you're always, I guess, and the same with the program sensors, just like. Triple M or Today FM couldn't have a party unless we invited Sando. So <laughs> even though you weren't in the same office as mm. us for most of the time, mate, you were still part of the, the crew. So that must have made you feel, you know, it was a big part of the team. It was great. And being around such a young group of people, as invariably they were, there, wasn't, there weren't too many people out of their 20s. It was, it was great. It invigorates you. You know, and to be made to feel welcomed by them, you know, you sort of turn up at the the pub or wherever having a party and, hey, you know, it was like, oh, jeez. You know, naturally a fairly shy sort of person and you'd be a bit nervous arriving, oh, what's this going to be like, who's going to be there? And you'd be just welcomed in and... Nerves are gone, and you now yeah, let's get a beer, and we're away and into it. You also did like a number of things on the side while you were doing your radio 
gigs. Yeah. The whole performer part of you came out. Yeah. What was that like? That was, oh, it was different. It was a good change of pace. I used to, I worked for, uh, at the Penrith RSL for many years, hosting their poker machine promotions and whatever promotions they were doing at the, at the time. Um, at Panthers, Jason and I worked at Panthers doing much the same sort of thing. That was, that was fun. They were, they were, they were fun days. We, we had one day, but we were doing a promotion. It was an all day promotion and, We'd have costume changes, so we'd go and you round into the dressing room, and you know, get and we had to go and hire all these costumes which Panthers paid for. And around we go, we you know, you might, you might be a pirate, or you'd come out as a nun with a glass of wine and yeah. stagger around. And and there was one we got a, a pink panth, panther costume, and I think we were getting pretty pissy by this stage and starting to giggle at, at stupid things. And we were getting changed, in, in, and Jason was wearing the pink panther costume. Yeah. And the lower part of the costume, he put it on deliberately the wrong way around. So this big pink tail is hanging down the front of his, of his pants and dragging around <laughs> on the floor. Brilliant. <laughs> and he'd come out, we'd come out in the costume, and people would be just staring and, what's he doing? And Jason would be feigning, you know, indignation. What? What's the problem? What are you looking at? You know, and then I'd point it out to him and we'd run off and pretend to go and get changed and then 10 minutes later we'd be back out in it again, you know, different crowd. So, yeah, it was just just getting up to mischief, I think, is the the fun part of what I do. Radio is obviously a shrinking industry, so the opportunities these days are (laughs) fairly, fairly limited. (laughs) Where do you see things for you going now? You've had an extensive career, what, going back, what, 35-odd years? I guess it is, yeah. I don't, couldn't count, but you do the math. Having spent the last 21 years doing traffic, what, where do you see the next opportunity for you? I've, I've obviously had time to put some thought to it. I, I'd like to explore maybe doing some promotions again in, in, in the clubs, uh, maybe some trivia, uh, Jason and I used to put together a fun karaoke show. Um, we might have a look at doing something like that. I've got to like MC or like be a, like a pseudo celebrant at, at, at a couple of funerals now. Right. And I think I went all right at that. I, I think I could make a make a living out of doing that sort of thing. How do you manage that? The macabre side of it with the trying to well, entertain people that it, were mourning a loss. Yes, it, was, it was fortunate for me that they were both family members, so I knew, right. what, knew, knew what was going on. and Gauged the mood. Yeah. Look, there's plenty of people at a, at a funeral normally that get up and do a few tearjerkers. So if you can just relax people and keep the mood, not light, but sensitive to, to what's going on, it's like any performance, really, isn't it? There's got to be an element of light and shade to everything. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been commended the both times that I've done it, so, uh, yeah, I'd like to explore that. If you were to give advice to any young person looking to break into the radio industry now, what would it be? Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Probably some sage it's, it's, advice it's, there it's, too. It's not a it's not a long term proposition. I don't 
I don't think. Look, it's a it's a tough game. It's very restrictive in in in, in what you can do. Like I, I actually, they they gave me five weeks' notice at Triple M, and I got about two weeks into that, and I was actually really enjoying it because I, I felt, well, what are they going to do? Sack me? You know, I was I was just mm. just enjoying myself. <laughs> And then I got a, a directive from um, someone in management, went uh, phoned uh, Vic LaRusso, head of uh, Traffic Network, and I've got Vic LaRusso on the phone, and he said, they don't want you doing any comedy during the traffic, no colour pieces, just keep keep it straight. Must have been a dagger through your heart. It was, and it was my last day. I thought, well, I'm not working out the rest of the five weeks. See you later. Get someone else. You know, get, get a bloody 21-year-old working on $24 an hour to um, to do the do the traffic. I'm not doing it. So, a bit sulky, but, you know, that's oh, me. Mate, I think after <laughs> 21 years, you'd certainly earned the right mm. to do that. But for someone who's enthusiastic about getting involved in, in media and, and, and radio, what would you suggest they do if they want to sort of further their career in in that particular area? Well, I think, as I say, like, it, it, there are quite often openings for people doing things like traffic. And it's not a bad way of just getting on air and getting a feel for what it's like to perform in radio. There's probably worse ways you can do it. I think a lot of people these days are getting, like, tertiary qualifications and that seems to work as well, and maybe uh, pick up a, a, a gig in the newsroom. What do they call them? The, the ones who come in and work for nothing and interns, learn yeah, interns, yeah. internships, and things like that. I, it's it's not an easy thing. You don't just sort of walk in and uh, like like we did when we started. Yeah, uh, you know, get a midnight to dawn's gig in the country, and you know, make all your mistakes there and learn the learn the from experienced people. It's, those things just don't happen now. It's different. So I don't know how I'd start these days. Brian Sanders, mm. thanks very much for your time. It's been my pleasure. Trust me. Now, can you show me where those bodies are buried? <laughs> There's one just over here. Come on, let's go. There he is, Brian Sando Sanders. And what a funny bugger he is. If you really enjoyed my chat today with Sando, please let him know by sending him a tweet at Sando Traffic. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at MediaMatesAU. Check out the Facebook page. Most importantly, if you could subscribe in iTunes, that'd be great. It means you won't miss an episode. While you're there, please leave a rating or a view. That way, more people will learn about the show. Until next time, I'm Ralph Tucker, and this has been the Media Mates Podcast. <laughs> Mates Podcast. Podcast.